Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast, where we break down the practical applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, executive and life coach Meredith Oak, with a quick reminder that podcasts are conversations, not consultations. But if you're looking for one of those, do check out our free practitioner directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. Kelly Erickson is a holistic health practitioner, nutrition coach, Reiki practitioner, and functional mental health practitioner in training. But she wasn't always on this path. Kelly spent years circling the drain of complex post-traumatic stress disorder and addiction until she decided she'd had enough. Following her intuition that there must be something better on the other side, Kelly continued to seek deeper avenues of healing, first for her son, it's interesting how we're always more willing to look for help for other people before ourselves. That's just what moms are like, I guess. Then eventually for herself. In this episode, Kelly shares what she's learned about the connection between light, nutrition, and trauma recovery, and gives us some simple steps we can take to make our environments supportive of our peace of mind and our bodies. Enjoy. Welcome, Kelly Erickson. I'm so happy to have you here. I have been sort of tangentially following your journey on Instagram for the last few years. Um, and I always thought like, oh, I'd, be, I'd love to talk to Kelly and hear her story. So I'm really excited we get to do that. Yes. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Pleasure. So tell us sort of where you're at right now, like what, um, what you sort of offer to the world, what your work is at the moment, and then we'll go back and hear the story of how you got here. Okay. So I am a holistic health practitioner. Um, I am a functional nutrition coach and a Reiki practitioner. So um, I help other women recover from childhood trauma and the effects of addiction. Okay. And, and, and all right. So Let's dig in a little bit to how you came to offer that um, beautiful sure. and important service to the world. So, you know, just bring us up to speed on your journey through that. Sure. So it's kind of a little bit of a long story, but I'll make it short. Um, I have my own history of childhood drama. It was actually probably... I probably could have been diagnosed with complex PTSD, um, but in that era that I grew up in, it wasn't really considered something um, yeah. until the last therapist that I saw. She was like, mm, maybe you might have PTSD. Um, <clears throat> but so I had a pretty rough childhood. <clears throat> Fast forward later in life, I got married. My husband had a child already. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then when he was about seven or eight, we started, well, I mean, it started much earlier, but about seven or eight, he was diagnosed with a movement disorder. Okay. This is, so it, this is your stepson? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, they didn't want to call it Tourette's at the time. They wanted mm -hmm. to wait until after puberty to further diagnose it because they said some kids can, you know, move through it and be fine. Um, but I didn't really accept that diagnosis. It didn't really explain everything we were experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started uh, seeking all these different healing modalities to try to help him. 
nothing seemed to be making a difference. And um, so we decided to sell our home in Seattle and buy an RV and travel for a year so that we could all kind of reconnect and help de-stress our son and do all of these things. And maybe this could be the piece that helped him. But about six wow, months, yeah, that's was- an amazing choice. It's I know, like when you tell, when we tell our stories, we're like, oh, and then we did this, right? But like having done some some random moves in life, like there's a lot that goes into a choice like that, and you have to be very brave and really feel like stick to your convictions and follow, trust your gut and what's best. So yeah, good for was- you. Thank you. It was hard, but, you know, he was in third grade at the time and he was so brilliant as a child. But as the years, you know, uh, as the years went on, we just saw like a regression of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I would talk to his teacher, I volunteered in the school all the time and I talked to his teacher and she was like, oh, you know, I didn't even notice he had these unusual movements and oh I didn't notice that he's not really doing his schoolwork and because he's such a nice kid and so you know he was just being overlooked and I wasn't satisfied with that so um, we hit the road and about six months into it um, I took him to a doctor in Arizona and it was a functional uh, doctor and they ran a bunch of lab work on him they wanted to test him for pandas and all of Lyme and all of that stuff And when we got the results back, they said that he was likely going to develop bipolar schizophrenia. Oh, Kelly. Um, That his blood work at the time reflected that of an adult who had already been diagnosed. Um, Sorry. So uh, I had some big choices to make um, on what I wanted to do. So I prayed all weekend And on Monday morning, I got back on Instagram and I started asking around at people that I followed. I got some recommendation to a doctor who was talking about sunlight. And so I messaged this doctor. We got in the next day. And, um, and, you know, so we wanted to change his diet and start exposing him to sunlight. And I tried for about six months, but the behavioral stuff really, um, prevented us from being able to make any sort of movement forward. So I knew that I had to be the leader. I had to join him in this journey. And so I did. I started exposing myself to the sun, you know, and all of these things. And then like six months into my journey, I recognized that I was healing my childhood trauma. Like I had been in therapy for 20 plus years and it had never touched the trauma And all of a sudden, by changing my diet and getting out in the sun, something was healing in such a massive way. I couldn't put my finger on it. So I started studying. I started following all these people. I listened to podcasts. I I went back to school for nutrition, all of these things. And uh, sure enough, I found the pathways that 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 it all explained it and it's really laid out pretty well in quantum biology and um so that's how, that's how I'm here I lost 60 pounds um I did things that I've never been able to do in my life I rid myself of all the PTSD symptoms um and yeah I'm an entirely different person now 
Um, I think we lost the volume on you. Okay. So you had done like all of these. Wow. This is just incredible. Um, so you've done all these years of therapy and, and healing work and inner work. And I'm sure, you know, we've, (laughs) you're on the path, you know, right. It's like this, and then you try this and everything helps, but you felt like a very profound shift when, when you started spending time outside and changing what you were eating. It was, would you say, was it almost like something shifted that allowed all of that work to kind of come like find it find its way out yes yes it were it it like the emotion started or you know the memory started surfacing and in a way that I could process them and deal with them so release them but other I lived largely in a disassociated state I couldn't touch my own emotions. I was a highly sensitive person. I love to watch movies about other people's pain and suffering because it allowed me to feel something, but I couldn't touch my own suffering. And um, and, and this living this lifestyle allowed me to do that. I could have really difficult conversations. I could cry and not feel ashamed about it. I could talk about um, some of the stuff that had happened to me that I'd never been able to talk about before. Mm-hmm. Um, just all of these things. And, and not to mention the amount of love that I started to feel feel, which also can be explained through all of this. Mm-hmm. It was just so profound. Like I, I literally just felt like a different person. I was not the same person anymore. And I mean, I know that person was always living inside mm-hmm. of me, but I couldn't access her. I couldn't get there. Wow. Yeah, I know. And it's, you know, if anyone listening is feeling like that, it's like, cause we've been, you know, and it sounds like you did the same thing. Like we work so hard to build this beautiful life and we have a spouse that we love and children that we love and all, you know, we look around and it's like, <gasps> but when we're, it's like frozen, it's like, it can't <laughs> like, I want, I know there's so much love and joy around. I want it to be able to penetrate in inside. And sometimes it, it's like, it's like frozen over. Yeah. It's how a, I would explain it. Yeah. A defense mechanism, a wall that gets put up between me and anything that could make me feel something really deeply because there's so much fear of being mm-hmm. hurt again and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's uh it was a really profound shift and I want to share it with other people. I want people to understand that, um, you know, talk therapy has a place mm-hmm. for some people. It didn't work for me. In fact, when I would leave therapy, that's often when I would drink the most because I also had a problem with using alcohol as a coping skill. And so I would mm-hmm. leave therapy and I would be all wound up and having all of this um to process and know where to go with it. You know, they didn't give me the skills on what to do afterwards. And so I would leave and that's when I would typically drink the most. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, we excavate all these wounds 
<laughs> bring out all our guts and they're like lying on the table and it's like yeah. okay time's up <laughs> yeah and I'm like now what do I do yeah so so it sounds like you have collected those skills and one of the most powerful and profound ones that you found was was this idea of our light environment um what else did you find that helped um so the ketogenic diet for me was really profound when I started to study the ways that were impacted by chronic stress or, you know, um, childhood trauma, mm -hmm. our cells, the mitochondria are significantly impacted and it happens, you know, all, through several different mechanisms, but, um, so we have the kind of arrested development in our cells and, um, the ketogenic diet kind of comes in and saves the day a lot of times for our mitochondria. And um, it can do this many different ways, but the ketogenic diet really allowed me to shift a lot of things. Um, as I lost the weight, I, I think a lot of the emotions came off with it. This I think a lot of times when we look at someone who's overweight, we're like, oh, that's so gross and you should just stop eating. And and a lot of times it's really not that. It, we kind of use it as a protective barrier. Yeah. And, um, and so as I started to lose the weight, I was able to process things. But our mitochondria are really significantly impacted by childhood trauma. And one of the ways that we can help our mitochondria is by allowing them to shift from a state of being a sugar burner to being a fat burner. And this does a couple of different things. It produces more metabolic water. Um, it can help with uh, nutrient sensing and signaling, which becomes significantly arrested through chronic stress. Mm -hmm. um, it can improve our redox signaling because when we experience chronic stress, that pathway gets significantly disrupted. And redox signaling or redox is really important because that's kind of how our antioxidant system works. It donates electrons to kind of neutralize reactive oxygen species or this oxidative stress that we get, which is mm -hmm. like smoke signals, right? We just from the simple process of our mitochondria operating, they produce this oxidative stress and we have antioxidant systems that are supposed to come in and kind of clean up the mess, neutralize it and shuttle it out. Um, but that pathway gets disrupted when we're under chronic stress. And so utilizing the ketogenic diet can really help with that. Um, and then obviously the sunlight plays a really big role in yeah. Um, the mitochondria, but also in the hypothalamus. Okay. So this area of our brain is what's responsible for our circadian rhythm, right? That's where our master clock sits and our master clock controls this 24 hour rhythm. Um, but it also is largely responsible for the way that the vagus nerve behaves. And so when 
you know, like in the trauma community, there's so much talk about stimulating the vagus nerve and, you know, doing all of these different things, which can be beneficial, but that vagus nerve stimulation, in my opinion, can be really short lived if Mm -hmm. we have poor mitochondrial health and poor hypothalamus function. And so kind of I guess the way I view the vagus nerve is one long thing. And at the end of one side of the vagus nerve is our mitochondria. And at the other side is the hypothalamus. And they both provide this really important input that kind of dictates the way the vagus nerve um, behaves or what state it's going to be in. And so light plays a really big role in helping the hypothalamus um, kind of regulate or control the state that the vagus nerve is in. If okay. that makes sense. I just said a lot of stuff. So I'll stop and see. If- no, that makes total sense. And yeah, and I'd love to unpack this a little more because okay. at the start of your story, you said you started going outside because you came across the sunlight information to help your son. Um and you notice like a profound shift in yourself and you're like, what's going on? And then you're like, I found the path, what's happening. There's, and I found the pathway. So that was like a great explanation of those pathways. And I think what's really interesting is, okay, so we have, you know, you and I, and probably most people listening have collectively shifted to the paradigm of understanding human health as in terms of mitochondrial function and not just like genetic disorders and things like that it's not all, it's not all of our genes. It's epigenetic and our mito- the health of our mitochondria is really the driver of our overall health. So then you said some interesting things. Cause so even through that lens, we think like, okay, so what's damaging our mitochondria, like toxins and mold and bad food and toxic lighting and all these things. But you're saying also stress, also our childhoods, also past stress. That's not even happening anymore would have played a role in like the development of our mitochondria or our mitochondria sort of developed in a certain way due to the stress patterns of our childhood. And now we're like stuck with that. Yeah. So there's something called the cell danger response. And when we experience overwhelming um, levels of stress, and this can be um, from toxins, like you said, mold, Mm -hmm. lime, all of these things, or emotional stress, uh, our cells can get arrested in this cycle. And it's a three-stage cycle that the cells typically go through when they get triggered by stress. And they're supposed to move through all three stages so they can return back to the healing state. Um, But when we experience repeated stress after stress after stress, it can get stuck in this cycle. And it basically... um, leads the cells to send off these danger signals to nearby cells. And it's this cascade event of inflammatory signaling. It can lead the cells to die off. Um, It can make the other cells sick and die off the same way that those cells are. And then we just, we end up with, um, you know, dysfunctional cells and and then this leads to dysfunctional systems. So all of our 
uh, organs are made up of mitochondria. And so, you know, if your mitochondria and your liver are the ones that are suffering, um, you can end up with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or whatever it is. Mm. But so does that answer the question? I could keep talking. Yes, it, yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I also, but I think the good news is because unlike DNA and how, you know, we were taught DNA works, mitochondria are much more flexible in terms of responding. If we change the signals that are causing them to function poorly, we can, I mean, as you just told us with your story, we can improve the health of the mitochondria. Yes. And the ketogenic diet works really well, in my opinion, for pulling the cells out of that cell danger response. And I don't think you have to live in a ketogenic state forever, but I do think it can be beneficial for kind of kickstarting that, that healing process. Okay. Yeah. Cause that was going to be my question is, you know, do you have to like stay keto, but it's, it's like triggering the cells to respond differently. And then once they get in the habit, we can, can sort of broaden out again, the, the, our, the sources of nutrients. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So let's then let's dig a little bit more into light. So how is the light helping to heal the mitochondria or helping to get them back on track and, and how have those systems be running smoothly? Um, So mitochondria act like environmental sensors, essentially, and they work off of frequency. And so, um, so basically, they're, they're sensors for what's going on in our environment. And that includes our light environment. And the kind of light that they're exposed to will kind of dictate uh, the way that they behave and they mitochondria makes something called metabolic water or structured water or easy water. Mm. And this water also acts like a sensor for frequencies. And when we burn fat for fuel, which is what we do when we're in the ketogenic state, then we make more metabolic water. And this metabolic water also allows for, um, the absorption of sunlight, but also better communication pathways from the mitochondria to other cells. And so, oh, it's just, there's so much to it. There's so many moving parts. High level, high level. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep it high level. It's all good. Yeah. So um, just like very high level, how is going outside and getting natural light and mitigating toxic light, especially at night. Um, You had the experience that that really shifted your trauma and PTSD symptoms. So how did, how do you understand that that happened? Um, So it, changes the signaling in our brain that affects our circadian timing system. 
our circadian timing system and our stress response system are in a bi-directional relationship. And so when we are getting signals from the sun, which uh, are signals of safety essentially to the mitochondria, then we are also impacting the stress response system. But also our mitochondria can only focus on um, the production of either sex hormones or uh, like stress hormones. And so when we're able to um, lower our stress levels through this signaling from the sunlight, then our mitochondria have the ability to focus on sex hormone production instead of so much of the stress hormone production. The sunlight also plays a role in um, folding or reef. Okay. It, it can, sunlight can help us produce melatonin and we have two different ways of producing melatonin. We have pineal melatonin, which is the stuff that everybody knows that helps us sleep at night, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have subcellular melatonin and subcellular mel melatonin gets produced from exposure to infrared light. Infrared light comes from the sun. Infrared light is available at all times of day in all seasons. And so when we expose ourselves to sunlight, we can help our mitochondria make this subcellular melatonin, mm -hmm. which is an antioxidant, which helps um, reduce or neutralize that oxidative stress that comes from chronic stress or inflammation. Uh, okay. Yeah, the, the melatonin hormone is really coming out strong lately. Like it, it's unbelievable how important it is um, to everything. Yes. And that also explains why an infrared sauna is so helpful in the winter when we're not getting, if we're in a cold place and we're not outside getting that infrared light on our skin, the infrared light from the sauna is triggering yeah. that subcellular melatonin. Yes. But the cold therapy is interesting because for people who are um, addicted to like intensity, I've had, I've had some, I have, you know, I know a physician quite well who doesn't, he tends not to recommend the cold therapy because he sees a lot of like driven, hard charging people. And he's like, they just get addicted to the intensity of it. Oh, <laughs> and I'm what they need is to chill out. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Cause I, there are just so many benefits to cold therapy, but. Um, yeah. But it also, I mean, you get that dopamine response, but you also get the epinephrine and the norepinephrine. So yes, it is a stress response essentially. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah if you're someone who's more in need of a restorative response then yeah I just think that it's interesting to mention that with cold therapy because people I mean we do this with everything right we're like oh this is good for you I'm gonna do it all the time every day yeah. as much as possible like even with the sun right we're out when I first came into this material like I definitely over over tanned because I felt like I was trying to make up for years 
sun deprivation. I'm like, okay, it doesn't work like that. You just do like a little bit each day. Um, But it is just, it's fascinating that when we go back to our roots and we reconnect with nature, nature seems to have everything that we need and we don't think that we need, you know, like we we need um, a roof over our head and air conditioning and heating to keep us stabilized and large amounts of food and all of this stuff, but it's really just not the case. You know, when you go outside, you have the ability to get energy from the sun. Um, The sun can spin the motor at the end of the electron transport chain um, without any electrons in it. And we can get free electrons from putting our feet on the bare earth, which is really great for someone, especially who's had chronic stress or childhood trauma, because the electron transport chain can kind of become arrested or dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And so going outside and getting, having access to free sources of energy is really great for someone who is feeling um, chronically fatigued or depressed or even anxious. I mean, this is the body's cry for help that it's losing energy to its environment. And if we just go outside, we can start replenishing that in in a way that doesn't require effort on our part. Right. This is such an important point, Kelly. Yeah. It's like, if we if we put our bodies in the environment that they're meant to be in, they will heal. Like it, they know how to heal themselves. They'll pull what they need out of that environment. And if we continually put our bodies in an environment that's layering on extra stressors, it's like just giving it more work to do. So to your point, we could go to therapy and have a beautiful session and like have all of these insights and breakthroughs. And then if we go home and put ourselves in a basically like totally toxic frequency environment, we're triggering our body back into a stress response. Yes. <laughs> Without even all, all we did was walk, walk through our front door yeah, in front of the computer. <laughs> it can feel kind of overwhelming when you start to learn about all of this because then your home almost can start to feel like not a safe haven anymore and you're constantly mm. looking like oh you know my bed's not next to an outlet and I don't have things plugged in and I've got to but once you settle into it, the lifestyle, you just learn ways to mitigate all of this. And they're actually really simple things you can do. Don't typically cost a lot of money. You can go out and buy some of the fancy tools like, you know, big red light panels or um, a sauna to put in your home or whatever it is. But really, the basics of it are pretty simple and affordable, in my opinion. Okay. So let's, let's just go through what you, you know, if somebody's listening and they're like, oh gosh, (laughs) like I would like to, I would like to get my home, you know, just move the needle a little bit, remove some of those stressors that might be putting me back into an anxious state or a fatigued state or, you know, stopping all my spiritual work or all my therapy work. It's like, it's going to hit a wall if our I find this so interesting. Like if our systems go into 
fear mode to protect from stressors, even if those stressors are invisible, um, we're still, we're still yeah. like stopping all this other work. Yeah. Um, so some really easy things you can do is, uh, start by keeping a window or a door cracked open. Um, this lets fresh air in, but it also allows the photons of light into the room and it will fill up the entire room. So literally if it's cold or even on hot days, you know, just a crack is enough to let the light in. Um, some other things that I do is you can hardwire your computers with an Ethernet cord instead of doing Wi-Fi. Um, if you don't want to do that, turn off your Wi-Fi when it's not being used. Um, put your phone on airplane mode when you're not using it. Um, never sleep with your phone in your room or charged next to your bed, you know, plugged in and charging. Um, you can use like red masking tape or blue tape or not blue tape, but um, black masking tape to cover up, um, you know, everything that's plugged in like our oven or um, some of these refrigerators, they all have like a little light that comes mm -hmm. that indicates that they're plugged in and they're working. Just cover those up um, with some tape and um I turn my air conditioning off or my heat off whenever I can. Um, I keep it at 65 during the winter time to allow my body to kind of get cold when we are sleeping. What else do we do? We use blue blocking glasses when we're um, watching TV or using a device or a computer. Um, what about light lighting in your home after? in the evening what do you do for that so before sunrise and after sunset i have red bulbs kind of mm -hmm. strategically placed throughout the house i have um i have them in lamps and i try to keep my lamps lower than eye level for a couple of different reasons but so i have lamps throughout the house i have a red bulb in them um and this protects my eyes before sunrise and after sunset. But you could also use a fire. If you have a fireplace, you can use candlelight. Um, just kind of the basics of those. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, as you were saying, these these interventions are pretty, pretty low cost and you know, I know for some people like the blue blockers and like the light bulbs, they're like, what are you talking about? Right. But I find that if people just give it a try, they're like, oh my gosh, I slept so much better. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it happened like that. You can feel the benefits quite quickly. Yeah, I think so too. But also it was kind of a phased, um, adaption for yeah. us. You know, we started with the sunlight and I wasn't quite aware of what, you know, how important it was to block the blue light. So when I became aware, then I started blocking the blue light. And, you know, we just started making these um, changes really slowly over time. We've kind of been at this for like three and a half years or something now. And I'm sure someone who's extremely well-versed in this, maybe like Carrie would walk into my house and pick out things that could be changed, <laughs> right? 
Um, but yeah, it's just, a, just do what you can when you can with what you have, I think, you know, and then as time goes on and you learn more then you can make more, you know, more changes. I don't think it has to be everything all at once. And, you know, a lot of my clients will, you know, they'll start to panic. Well, there's a power line outside or there's, you know, X, Y, Z. And, you know, it's like, don't focus on all of the negative because that kind of counterbalances what you're trying to do. If you're chronically stressed over trying yeah. to mitigate <laughs> stress, yeah. so you know, it's just one step at a time. And the more you learn, the more you'll understand and the more changes you can make. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I, yeah, I completely support that approach. And like, even one little thing makes a difference, right? Like cracking your window makes a difference, yeah. right? Like yeah. just being like, oh, so I won't flip the switch that puts on all the led lights in my ceiling. I won't turn those on yeah. after like four or five o'clock. Okay. Like just uh, like leaving that switch unflipped makes a difference. Like so many little things. Yeah. And I put, I went through, I don't know if you can still get the incandescent bulbs at all, but I went through and I put incandescent bulbs in the mm -hmm. other, you know, uh, lighting features that we have in the house. So when they are on, there's more of a fuller spectrum of light being received than, you know, the blue light that comes from the LED lights. Right. Yes. And I also just wanted to circle back to the point you made about if we're trying to uh, reduce the number of stressors on our systems, that freaking out over as we learn things and then getting stressed out. Yes, it, it can be a cycle. So I totally agree. And just focusing on the idea that like going outside, it just has increased my health, right? Like I just, I have found that to be such a profoundly peace inducing piece of knowledge, right? Like there's so much out of my control, but when I get in my car, I just open the sunroof unless it's pouring rain, right? Like, and I just know like there is healing light coming on me right now Yeah, <laughs> as I'm driving it, around to the yeah, grocery store or whatever, right? Like yeah. it really has made such a huge difference in how I feel because I just knowing that that's, that those little choices are helping so much. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because every time I crack the window, that's exactly what I think I'm getting the light, you know, even if yeah. I go home and, and, you know, or I'm busy running errands, I can, I can still get the light though. I do crave being outside. I would rather be yeah. outside, you know, whenever I can. Yes. And the same, yeah, that same thing. It's like, oh, like, oh, I didn't eat today or I was in the city and like, or was around all this stuff. And it's like, I can just put on, put on the grounding shoes and go for a walk and know that I am like restoring and repairing. Right. Like I, it, it just, yeah, it just really reduces that low level anxiety that we have about everything I find. Yeah. It's yeah. It's pretty fascinating. There's lots of research showing that nature bathing reduces cortisol. There's also pathways in the eyes that, uh, you know, that are picking up on what's in your environment and in making um, interpretations about it. And so when we're 
looking at leaves or um, walking down a path at a park or in the woods, all of that contributes to the reduction of cortisol, the reduction of stress. So it literally mm. is the place where we find peace for many different reasons. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to circle back to to the the concept of PTSD and, you know, childhood trauma um, and just dig in into that a little bit in terms of of what it looks like. Um, Because I know for myself, I, I always connected the idea of trauma with like major, major crises. Um, and then at a certain point I was introduced to the idea of just more like a slow drip, you know, <laughs> where it, it, you know, there, there may have been moments throughout childhood of, that were punctuated by events, but like, what did it feel like, you know, to exist on a day-to-day basis and how, you know, if that is, was a stressful or isolating or lonely experience most of the time like that is like a slow drip trauma as opposed to like the divorce or the accident or the death or the illness or or the move or or something big like that could you could you speak to that idea a little bit so people can maybe understand how to put their own um past into perspective sure so when we talk about stress i just think of it as like a bucket our bucket can only hold so much stress and It's typically a combination of different types of stress. So we have emotional, psychological stress. We have toxin stress. We have environmental stress. We can have, you know, all of these different types of stress and we can only hold so much of it. And like you said, we can have slow accumulation and at some point the bucket overflows and we end up with a a response in the body that, you know, it's, it's, it's had too much, but, um, and would that response look, I would imagine like can look lots of different ways. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's different for everybody. So that's where maybe, um, genetics might come into play a little bit. Um, and, uh, and, and so what gets impacted by your chronic stress is going to be different for everyone. Maybe for me, I already had um, uh, toxins in my life that had slowed down my liver function. And so when I get uh, my stress bucket is overflowing, I could end up with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or something of that sort. But traumatic or well childhood trauma chronic stress it ha- it follows kind of a pathway and the first pathway is the mitochondria then it leads to epigenetic changes then it impairs methylation then we can end up with things like elevated homocysteine elevated histamine which can impair our liver function our gallbladder function and our thyroid function So, you know, there's many different areas where this chronic stress can impact someone. 
And usually, you know, if someone comes to you with a thyroid problem, you're going to look back at it and say, well, there's probably some dysfunction in the liver and the gallbladder as well, probably some dysfunction, maybe in methylation or histamine, you know, I mean, you can kind of work your way back and support all of those things. But ultimately, when you're supporting the mitochondria, you're going to support the entire system. Um, But kind of to go back to your question, we have small traumas and big traumas. And so, you know, these small things could be maybe your best friend in childhood, you guys spent all of this time together. And then all of a sudden, she met a new group of girls, and she started kind of picking on you. I mean, that's a small trauma, right? Mm -hmm. That emotional isolation, that feeling of shame that you developed from it. Um, And these things just build up over time. And, And then maybe at some point, you're exposed to mold. And mold is the the thing that tips that toxic bucket. And now you're, you know, really, really sick. Um, so I think that answers your question. But also, I guess with trauma, you know, we have these experiences in life and and they can be stressful. But when when I think of trauma, I think of what happens in the body, not the actual experience itself, because that same little girl whose best friend be, all of a sudden started being mean to her. If she has a support system at home, mm. a mother who is emotionally available or even a grandma or an aunt or a teacher, someone that she can process this with, she's going to um, come out the other side of it. Not only more emotionally resilient, but her cells are going to respond much better. She's literally moving that frequency, that energy out of her body, and it's not getting stuck or trapped and then eventually leading to some sort of damage. So it's situational and for everyone, it looks different. And maybe, you know, I I don't know, it, it's hard, you know, everybody that comes to me it's so funny because i'm advertised as you know helping women recover from trauma and addiction most women come to me with just really serious health complaints and they'll say no i didn't really have any trauma no i didn't you know but then as we start working together it's like oh yeah i think you i think you might have <laughs> right you know and so right. then it becomes this process of kind of managing um their emotional well-being as well to kind of mm-hmm. help kick start this whole healing process within the body right because it's i mean it's it's basically impossible to to get into adulthood without some kind of trauma as you know right if we're defining it in in this way of of life events that that cause um difficult emotions that cause us to feel um shame and isolation and all of these hard things so it it's really almost like okay we for sure had trauma like how how was it handled how did we work through those moments? And so one person could go through something difficult and come out 
okay. And someone could go through something that we would label as much less, much less traumatic, but they're not okay because every, they didn't have anywhere to put it as you were saying. Yeah. And this can happen even within the same family. Say you have four children and the mother and one of the children are extremely close, but the mother and another child maybe aren't as, uh, you know, close and the other child has a difficult situation and she can't turn to her mother to help process it you know so even within a family if maybe your whole family dynamic looks healthy you can still um have difficulties because of the relational dynamics that exist within the the larger family right yeah it's so interesting i remember like when my children were were younger i went to a talk at the school from a with a child psychologist, she was, she was fantastic and talking about building resiliency and all these things. And we were all like, how do we protect them from trauma? How do we protect them? And she was like, you can't, <laughs> like they will have things happen. But what matters is, is are you, do you have the skills to help them through it? Cause that's what, that's what matters. And I was like, Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and when you look at the body as a system of energy, and then you start to think of emotions as energy, and th- it kind of shifts how you view all of it and what we can do with that and we can transmute it. And so trauma is associated with fear, anger, resentment, jealousy, all of this stuff. And these are really heavy, dense emotions. And if we can figure out a way to transmute that energy and move through it and do something different with it, Um, it's really profound and we can, you know, I don't know. I just think I didn't know PTSD number one was considered a mental health problem when Mm -hmm. I first started all of this. I know the conversation has changed quite a bit and it's become much more obvious, but to me it wasn't. And then all of this fear and anger and resentment, I thought I had to work through it up here (laughs) and it felt impossible. Like I just couldn't make those leaps and bounds. I couldn't get rid of it that way. And then when I understood that these emotions are energy and frequencies that just need to be moved, then exercise became something really different to me. Um, You know, then using something like a pranamat became very different to me. You know, yoga poses made a lot more sense. It's like, oh, okay. So we have all of these tools that can really help us move through it without having to do it with our thinking minds. Yes. Yeah, it's, I'm... um... Yeah. Our thinking minds can only get us so far. Yeah. And yeah, I had a similar journey. I came through, you know, I think of it as like, you know, there's a lot of doors to healing, but at at a certain point we have to open all of them. So yeah, I came through the cognitive, (laughs) the cognitive door and, um, you know, I got really good at like mastering my thoughts and uh, which is a very good skill. I'm, I'm not saying don't do that, do it for sure. You know, and then the spiritual door and then, but then I ended up with chronic fatigue and I'm like, 
shit, I'm missing something because otherwise, like, why would I be leveled like this? Right. And that was, yeah, the energetic piece and the energetic environment that I was putting myself in, particularly the light, right. Which is also energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I find, well, there's even research coming out that's showing that um, having a disrupted circadian timing system prior to a stressful event could be what triggers the development of PTSD. And so that's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you could have the same thing happen, but your system is regulated. You, you don't get, you don't get tipped over into PTSD. You have the same event happen. You're totally dysregulated from a, a circadian perspective. And it's like, boom, you're, you're reacting yeah. to that event over and over and over again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and there's so much more to it. Like I want to understand the melanin piece in the development of PTSD, because mm-hmm. from my perspective, when you think about, well, because PTSD didn't even show up in the DSM until the 1980s, right? And it was largely associated with um, veterans of war, right? We yes. thought that, that was yeah. made how people yeah. developed. PTSD. And you were shell shocked, and you were like shaking in a corner, and yes, you know, that was PTSD after seeing lots of people get killed. Anything yeah. less than that, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. And so with when when I look back at veterans, people who went to war, what would they have been exposed to? Loud booming sounds flashes of bright, bright light, which could totally destroy the melanin in their eyes and the melanin in their ears, disrupting the whole system. And then they're up all night long having to be on watch, coupled with what they see and experience after that. I really, really think that melanin probably plays a role in the development of PTSD. But I, I still have some pieces to kind of put together to figure out if that's really what's happening. So interesting. So interesting. I mean, it, yeah, it sounds like it very likely plays a role. Yeah. So, okay. So on the topic of PTSD, we, you know, we're talking about the, you know, the very extreme version. Um, when you say PTSD symptoms, what what could that look like? So for somebody who... It's like, what does she mean? PTSD symptoms. Cause they could be, could they just be things that were like, Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm in a bad mood. Oh, I'm whatever, whatever, whatever. I know we're so good at just, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I think with PTSD, Can they be quite subtle. Um, you know, I, I think it depends on the person and how aware of their body or in tune they are with those signals that are being given, um, because I think our body is always communicating to us about what's going on inside. Um, so they might be considered subtle to one person and to someone else, they might be screaming really loudly. Right. Um, but things like nightmares are often associated with PTSD, um, sleep disruptions, for sure. Lots of most right. people um report not being able to either fall asleep or stay asleep. Um, There can be fear of darkness. So they use a lot of lighting to keep it light at nighttime. 
um, anxiety, depression, uh, isolation, um, disassociation. I mean, there's there really is a whole long list of things. But I would say, you know, if you have a history of anything, which we all do, but if you have a history of anything that was even mildly stressful emotionally, I would say that there's probably a pretty good chance that you have some stored emotional trauma or things that need to be worked through and released in order to restore proper health, I guess you could say. Right. And so that brings it back to physical health symptoms, like you were saying, thyroid, or I mean, probably pick anything out of the long list of chronic illnesses that seem to be piling up. So yeah. any one of those things for to to fully heal, we probably need to address the the issue of stored trauma. Yeah. I have seen and worked with patients or clients that um, are doing all the right things. They're supporting their system all the right ways, but they're missing the emotional piece and it's really holding them back. And when we start to work through that together or, mm -hmm. you know, on their own, that's really when they start to see the, the needle move. Um, I think, I, I just don't think that you can properly heal without addressing emotional wounds that you may have. Yeah, probably not. And then, so back to what you were saying earlier in natural sun, natural light and being outside in nature are a key piece of that emotional healing. Yeah. Say. Yeah. I think it's all about sending safety, safety signals to the mitochondria sunlight, grounding, nature, those are all really good safety signals. Um, I like to look at it that way because then it's easily translated all across all areas of life. Are we in a relationship that it feels safe to us? Are we in, you know, a work environment that feels safe to us? All, you know, it's all about what kind of safety we're providing to our body. And yes, nature is a big part of that. Right. And then as we build up our resiliency, I have found that my, you know, uh, personally, and I've seen this other people too, like I feel safe in more places yes. than I used to. Like my, yes. my bar for feeling safe has raised. So I don't need to be like in a totally therapeutic environment at all times in order to feel safe I can like kind of handle the day-to-day -day or interactions and especially yeah. with work or we're thrown together with people that you know in for most people at work they're often in situations that they didn't necessarily get to pick the people they're with <laughs> yeah and it becomes easier to manage that and to show up as fully ourselves even when we're not in a quote-unquote safe space yeah. Well, I think that also ties back to the health of the mitochondria. The health of the mitochondria has a really big influence on our thought processes and what we might view as safe or unsafe. Mm. And so the healthier our cells get, the better we can manage our thought processes and our emotional state. None of it can really be separated. So 
you know, that kind of ties back again yeah. to the ketogenic diet and all of that stuff that really just yeah. allowed me to start processing everything. Right. Because yeah, it, I mean, at the quantum level in the quantum field, it's this thing that we've done where we've separated things out. It's just like, that doesn't, that's doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look through the quantum lens, it's all one coherent system. I like the coherence word because that's ultimately what we are doing is creating coherence at the cellular level. And when we vibrate at um, a frequency that emits coherence, that's when we feel the most love. And I think that's mm -hmm. when we can feel connected to something greater than ourselves. And it really opens the door for so much more spiritual healing. Yes. Yeah. And I love this. This is going to be a beautiful place to wrap up. And I, cause I think that's really important as well. It's like, um, yeah, like the concept of not being alone in the universe, the concept of divinity and inner divinity, like on a mental level, it could be somewhat comforting, but what I hear you saying and what I've experienced, yeah, is like to actually have that as an experience. It's pretty profound. It really it's very is. very different. Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm so grateful for this journey because I've been able to experience both the dark and the light. And I have met so many incredible people along the way that have supported me and all of this. And I just couldn't be more grateful. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much for sharing this. Is there anything that's um, coming to you that you'd like to, to share or, or add that? I don't think so. Okay. No. I appreciate you having me on very much. Well, um, thank you for doing it and thank you for sharing. And yeah, I've, as I said at the top, I've wanted to have this conversation with you for a long time. So I feel really blessed that we got to do it. Oh, thank you. Me too. Okay. Great. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.